0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. But the title today is The Parable of the Sower. The Parable of the Sower, a farm story. Yes, Jesus tells farm stories also. Um, My sister, Phoebe, who lives in Lancaster, went back to visit the farm recently, and she sent me all these pictures on the email, and I was looking at them, and I love to see the pictures of the farm in the summer. We don't usually get there in the summer, but she sent me pictures of the corn, because when my dad plants the corn and it gets high, it's so cool to, to see that. Year after the year, my dad grows this amazing corn. I mean, it's just incredible. Even this year, when it was so wet, he still has this tall green corn, and my dad always has the best corn. It's, it's crazy. It's every year you drive, you drive through and everybody knows when it gets to my dad's field. Huge high green corn year after year. In fact, they, it, for our Grange Fair, you, there's a contest where you, you bring stalks of corn into the fair and they have a contest who gets the first place blue ribbon and all that stuff and the kids from all the different farms come to my dad's farm and say can I cut some of your corn and they'll come out with their jackknife and they'll find the biggest one they can get and they'll take my dad's corn to the fair so at at the fair it's all my dad's corn competing with each other because the kids know that's the tallest corn year after year and it really ticks some people off because believe it or not farmers are competitive just like everybody else and and they always want to know what's the secret But my dad will always say, I'm just lucky, I'm just lucky. He always says, I'm just lucky, I'm just lucky. He says that year after year. But he's not lucky, he's just a really good farmer. He knows exactly when to plant the corn and how to prepare the soil, which is prime soil anyway. In fact, the Amish are all buying up this this farmland where my parents live now because it's such great uh, soil. But my dad knows how to prepare the soil extra do extra preparation to really make it good. One thing he did is he put drainage tiles throughout all the fields. Over all the years, every year he did a different field. I remember following the the thing that dug the the hole and putting the tiles in and sprinkling straw before we pushed the dirt in. Year after year. So his fields, even when it's very wet, they drain off really quickly. And, and so he's able to get on them to plow and get on them to plant and get on them to harvest the corn. And so if, because of that, very good. But he also prepares this, the soil. You have, If you've ever done gardening or anything, you, you know what I'm talking about. You have to know just how to prepare the soil. And he knows just how to prepare the soil that he has. He knows just when to put the fertilizer on, and he puts a lot of manure on. If you ever go by our house in the you know, spring, you smell it. You know, Lots of manure that's been spread all winter long all over the fields, and he knows just the right way to prepare that soil. Now, I know there aren't many farmers here, not too many farmers, but many have tried gardens, a lot of you have gardens, or at the very least, you've planted grass or bushes or flowers, so you, you we're going to be able to relate to what Jesus is teaching here, for this, this passage, because People in Jesus' time all knew exactly what he was teaching because they all did this. They all planted and and harvested, and that's how everybody lived. The, The idea of not doing that was very foreign to the people this time. So he tells a story here about planting, but it's really not about planting. It's really about each one of us spiritually. Let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you for the many stories that we heard this morning of planting and spiritual growth in harvesting and we thank you for these stories and pray now that as we look at your word your spirit would speak to us and work in our hearts to grow us spiritually and to that you would be able to use us to plant and to harvest and to touch many other lives people that need your son Jesus Christ we pray that in his name amen okay now if you missed last week Get the CD, listen to the podcast, because we looked at, in Mark chapter 4, we looked at verses 9 through 12, which Jesus talk, talked about why he used parables in the first place. The puzzling, powerful purposes of parables. So make sure you listen to that, because this will all make a lot more sense. But he, then he starts off here, we're going to start off here with chapter 4, with the parable of the sower. And this parable of the sower actually kicks off Jesus' parable teachings, Throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels. John's a little bit different, but it's a different teaching about Jesus, the Son of God. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more the stories of what what Jesus did along with his teaching. And they're called the synoptic gospels. And in each of them, the parable of the sower kicks off his teachings of the parables. Because this is the key to all the rest of the parables. This is the key is what kind of soil are we? Are our hearts prepared to receive the teachings of Jesus Christ? So let's start off with reading the the parable itself, starting with verse 1 of chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." Now, this is a really easy sermon to preach. and you know why? Because we're going to see here, Jesus explains exactly what it means. Sometimes you're trying to figure out what did he mean. This is when he explains exactly what he means by this story. All that remains for us is to apply it and to try to live it, which isn't so easy, is it? <laughs> the apply, the, the applying is not as hard, but living it is not so easy. But let's look at how he explains what this exactly means. Verse 13. We'll pick it up with 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution becomes, comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, seed sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So, we see that the farmer sows the word. He, Jesus may have actually been pointing to a farmer sowing because it was going on all around him here in this area, all around him, and he may actually have been, been pointing at a farmer actually out scattering his seed. And we know here from what Jesus is teaching that the farmer is Jesus himself. He's the farmer. And the seed that is being sown is the word of God, he says. It's the word of God. And the four different soils... Represent four different responses to the teaching of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at only one today because it was such a powerful one. We're going to look at all three the next time we get together. But the first type is in verse 15 where he says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So the first one is the seed along the path. And this represents someone with a hard heart. A hard heart. In a, on a, on a field, on my dad's farm, you, if you go to a field, all around that field is a lane. That is, there's nothing growing there. And that's because that's where the tractors, when you go between the fields, when you go to drive between fields, you drive along this lane. And the rest of the field is growing really nice, but this land just has a few little pieces of grass or crop growing there because it's packed hard because of the tractors driving around the edges of the field. In, this, in Jesus' time, they didn't have tractors. They had, you know, donkeys and people, and, and they would walk and pack it hard along the edges of the field. And this is what Jesus is talking about. But it stands for... It stands for if someone has a hard heart. And what would happen is when the seed falls on that hard-packed area around the field, nothing would grow. The seed would just sit on top until the birds would come along and eat it. That's what would happen to that seed. It wouldn't wouldn't grow. It wouldn't bear fruit. And this represents the people who hear the words of Jesus Christ or read them or, or listen to them. They hear them, but their hearts are hard. And, and when they hear these words of Christ, they reject it. They reject, when, when someone, they hear someone talk about spiritual things, it's like water bouncing off of a duck. You know, it just goes off, rolls right off of their back. They don't, they don't listen to that. Many of you here were once like that. All of us were, weren't we? But I remember we could tell stories. We could have some really funny stories out. You know, I remember some of the, the conversations that you've shared after you became a Christian. And, and how you, before that, when you hear spiritual things, you'd be like, Oh, you know, I used to think you were some crazy guy talking about some crazy stuff. You know, you used to talk about that crazy Pastor Chuck, how he's lost his mind to believe this crazy stuff. And then after we become a Christian, we can all laugh about it. But many of you here, we could have some pretty funny stories, right? about what you thought of when I would preach the word or teach the word. The, this, in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus telling the same story, it's a parallel parable, and he goes into a little bit more detail in, verse, in Luke, he says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. This seed represents people who are not saved yet. They've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've never come to Christ and said, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I I give my life to Jesus Christ. When we take that step, we are saved spiritually. We're no longer going to go to hell. We're going to go to heaven. But more importantly, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we have life now. That's life for eternal life that starts right now. The moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his spirit actually comes inside of us. And we have a brand new life. He makes us a brand new person. He starts a transformation process. That's when we are saved. Okay, But this person has never done that, has never put their faith in Christ yet. Out of all the four different seeds, this is probably the only one that is talking about someone who's not a Christian. The rest are talking about fruitfulness. This one is, is talking about someone who's really not a Christian yet. And the scary part, though, is what, or more specifically, who is keeping these people, and each one of us at one point in our life, what is keeping the unsaved person from becoming saved, from putting their faith in Jesus Christ? And who is that? They're birds. And what do the birds represent? It's Satan and his demons. It's like the Alfred Hitchcock movie, you know, the birds, you know, and, and all the birds attacking and pecking people's... Well, I'm not going to get into it, but anyway, you know, eyes and all, it was horrible. You know, killing people. You know, you know, and that's that's spiritually. What this is like. This, this It's a horror movie. It's, it's, it's Satan it's his demons attacking when the word is preached. Or when the word is shared with someone. This is what they do. And I see it happen all the time. I'll be witnessing to someone. Sharing with someone. Sitting down and talking about the word. And I can see this spiritual battle going on. Part of them wants it. The other part of them is being pulled away. It's, it's like see it going on all the time. I'm sure Chuck out with his witnessing. Uh, Chuck Harrison out with the witnessing. Many times you see it. Someone's locked in, and they're focused, right? And they're, they're hearing you, and all of a sudden they're distracted somehow. Some, one of their friends comes up, come on, let's get out of here. You don't need to talk to this crazy guy, right? Or something distracts them, and you know it's spiritual. It, it happens so often. If you have a habit of sharing your faith, you see it happen. It happens all the time. The, the person gets distracted. It's a spiritual battle that's going on. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says this. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who is blinding people? It's Satan himself, the God of this age. talking about Satan here. It's a spiritual battle. And that explains a lot, doesn't it? It explains a lot. The spiritual battle that's going on, it it explains a lot. It explains why when we share spiritual things with some people that they're so blind with something that's so obvious that they're so blind. Or when they get mad when they hear the truth, right? Some people get so angry when they hear God's truth preached or shared or talked about or they read it. They get just so angry. It's like one of those zombie movies, you know, when someone's trying to reason with a zombie, you know, they're good friend gets bit, and they turn into a zombie, but they're still trying to talk to them. I know, I like zombie movies, but anyway, they, the, but they can't get through to them, because it's a zombie. It's not their husband, or wife, or kid, or best friend anymore. It's a zombie, right? And that's, they're, they're blind, and spiritually, that's what we're, you, you become a Christian, but the people that aren't Christians, they don't get it. Now, hopefully, they do in time, they, they find that care, they find Jesus Christ, but I'm just using this one example, what people are like, that we, Once we understand this, we can understand, once we understand this concept, we can see that Satan's blinding effect in many places. It will really open our eyes to see that we're not battling people. We're battling the person that's blinding them. But once we understand this concept, everything else makes sense. Someone sent me a, a news article this week. Um, the title of it is, MSNBC host says newborn infants don't count as alive unless parents decide they do. If fanticide is the new abortion, this is not. This is this is serious. Uh, Mike Adams, the Health Ranger, Natural News editor. This is not a Christian ed- publication, right? Now listen to this. Today, this is what he says. He says <clears throat> today, Natural News denounces Melissa Harris Perry, the latest talking head death worshipper. ...to publicly imply that she supports the murder of living, breathing newborn children. According to Harris-Perry, life begins when the parent feels like life begins. And together with some twisted new ethic arguments from the radical left... ...this is their writing, not me... ...this can include months or years after a child is born. That's why I need to premise this article with this disclaimer. This article is not about abortion... It's about the murder of children after they are born. Because once a child is born alive, terminating that life is no longer a choice. It's murder by every legal and moral standard. And I would consider abortion the same, by the way. Uh, Because while abortion friends and foes can argue about when life begins in the womb, no one disagrees that a child born alive is, well, alive. Do they? Far beyond arguing for the right to abort a baby in the first or second trimester which many abortion advocates who run in the same circles as Melissa Harris Perry are now publicly arguing that it they say now they're arguing that it's okay <clears throat> for parents to kill their children up to age 3 this is now being promoted as post birth abortion Now, there was a Princeton professor, I I actually preached on this about maybe 10 years ago, there's a Princeton professor teaching this in his ethics class, and I said, it's coming. Well, here it is. It was also called a fourth trimester abortion by a clever pollster who recently took to the streets of George Mason University to find out if summertime college students would sign a petition legalizing fourth trimester abortions nearly all who were asked to sign the petition did so. One of the college students even asked whether the procedure would cause harm to the child. Well, the pollster responded, there wouldn't be a child anymore. After which, the college student then proceeded to sign the petition. The battle's almost over, isn't it? Outside of revival. Now get this. A study published in the Journal of Medical Ethics argues that newborn babies have no moral right to life and are thus not actually persons. They insist in this article that newborn babies have no right to life and that parents can simply decide to kill their children for all sorts of reasons, including feeling like the child will be too expensive to raise or just suddenly discovering the fact that the newborn babies cry a lot. I think they should move it up to age 15 uh, if we're going to do this. But anyway, we're going to get past the teenage thing. All right. Rather than being actual persons, newborns are potential persons, right? The study author, blah, 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 blah. Now, these are the same people. This is what was hitting me as I'm reading this. This same group are the same ones who say you should never spank a child. Spanking is illegal, and it's actually illegal in a lot of places, right? Because you should never spank a, a, a child. So it's not okay to spank them, according to this whole group here, but you can kill them. That's, that's okay, That can only be described, only be explained. And this is a big movement in our country, by the way. Don't think abortion is the end of it. This can only be explained by spiritual warfare, by somebody blinding people spiritually. And we're no longer talking to people, we're talking to spiritual zombies, right? That's the only way you can explain it. Do we need any more proof of it? Read the news. Listen to the news. It's there all the time. It will open your eyes. And listen, if you are here today and you're not a Christian, and I'm glad you're here, keep coming. Keep seeking. Keep searching. We all started out there. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, understand something. Satan is doing everything he can to keep you from becoming one. But he can only do so if you work with him by hardening your heart. Because once you harden your heart, then he can come away and take the word away. But if you soften your heart to listen to God's word, then he, he, he can't get anywhere. He only can do what we give him permission to do in our life. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it, right? Right? Someday, well, God, the devil made me do it. Yeah, No, it, it, we, it's our heart that allows him. And Satan knows the power of God's word, and he does all he can to blind us to his word. And it's not just if you're not a Christian yet, but he does the same for Christians too, doesn't he? He tries to keep Christians who have put their faith in Christ in the dark regarding God's word. He doesn't want us to read the word or to hear the word. And once we do hear it or read it, he doesn't want us to really get to know the word, right? Or, and once we get to know it, he doesn't want us to believe the word. And after we believe it, he doesn't want to us to, to act on it and to try to live it. Because once we hear it, he doesn't want us to know it. Once we really get to know it, he doesn't want us to believe it. Cause some doubt somehow, right? And once we believe it, he tries to get us not to act on it. You see the progression? He fights us every step of the way. And he'll do that by distracting us, by tempting us, by discouraging us. Anything he can do to take our eyes off the power and the promises of God's word. He will do and he does. Satan, we know he can attempt to steal a positive thought. We can see Jesus Jesus teaches this right here, right? The birds come along and steal a positive thought. We know Satan can try to steal a positive thought that God wants us to have. but We also know that he can plant. A spiritually negative thought. How do we know that? It's in the Bible. Where do we see it? Genesis. Eve. Right? You know. Right away planted that thought. He, he, and it's all throughout the Bible. That's right off the bat. It's right there. That he can plant one. Now here's the thing. His thoughts aren't sin. If we're tempted. That's not sin. It's not sin to be tempted. I use temptation. It's only sin when we take that temptation. And we. Own it as our own. And if he can get us to own a thought or own a temptation and allow it to take root, then it can become a, and it will become, a stronghold in our life. I'll give you one example of a stronghold that, that, that the Bible talks about. There's, it could be anything. But in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, talks about anger, how anger can become a stronghold. And this is one example that says, verse 26, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And that's what anger can become, but any temptation, any struggle, any spiritually negative thing can become a stronghold in our life. It could be anything. We have to be on our guard, and we have to battle against it, and fight it, and, and, and keep that battle going. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 5, I think I have it up behind me there. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, it says, did I forget a verse? Oh, no, I did, okay. 10, 3 to 5, he says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Now, get this, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now get this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's how you defeat the stronghold. You take captive every thought and you make it obedient to Christ. That's the battle that we're constantly in. Becca, My daughter Becca shows bunnies at the fair. She loves showing bunnies. Now bunnies are fun to show up except... They're kind of wild. You know, if you ever picked up a bunny, they're kind of wild. You have to tame them. So she spends hours getting them ready for the fair by petting them and feeding them and, and clipping their nails and taming them. It takes a long time to tame an animal like that so that you can actually show it. But it takes, she does all she can do to, to make it obedient. Because once it's obedient, she can take it to the fair and show it and, and win ribbons and, and all that. And, and that's the same thing that we do with our thoughts. Our thoughts are wild, you know. We grow up with all kinds of crazy thoughts, right? And Satan is helping by planting plenty of other ones. And, and we have to learn to take every thought to the word of God, and make it obedient to God's word. We have to, to capture those thoughts and say, God, what should I do with this thought? Instead of letting it become an emotional bondage for us, right? We all know what I'm talking about. We all do this. Instead of letting that happen, we take these thoughts captive and we make them obedient to God's word. One of the best books I've ever read on this is Victory Over the Darkness by Neil Anderson. Victory Over the Darkness. We have Lots of copies on the back bookshelf. I want to encourage you, if you've never read it, read it. If you've read it before, read it again. Read it over and over and over again. And and even better yet, study it with somebody. Sit down with somebody and go through it page by page and really wrestle with it and and make it a reality in your life because it's the key to, to winning this battle for our mind. How have we, think of our lives, how have we allowed Satan to make inroads into our life? What has he used or who has he used? Maybe it's friends that he's used to create these strongholds. Maybe it's in our school or in our college that this happened. Maybe it's a book that we've read. Maybe it's The Stranger. Someone sent me uh, uh, just this week. I was like, perfect. Thank you, God. It's called The Stranger. Maybe The Stranger has been the one that's created strongholds for you. Let me read this. Several years after I was born, my dad met a stranger who was new to our small town. From the beginning, Dad was fascinated with this enchanting newcomer and soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around from then on. As I grew up, I never questioned his place in my family. In my young mind, he had a special niche. My parents were, my parents were complimentary instructors. Mom taught me good from evil and Dad taught me to obey. But the stranger, he was our storyteller. He would keep us spellbound for hours on end with adventures, mysteries, and comedi- comedies. If I wanted to know anything about politics, history, or science, he always knew the answers about the past, understood the present, and even seemed to be able to predict the future. He took my family to the first major league ball game. He made me laugh. He made me cry. The stranger never stopped talking, but Dad didn't seem to mind. Sometimes mom would get up quietly while the rest of us were shushing each other to listen to what he had to say, and she would go into the kitchen for some peace and quiet. I wonder now if she ever prayed for the stranger to leave. Dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions, but the stranger never felt obligated to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our home. Not from us, our friends, or any visitors. Our long-time visitor, however, got away with four-letter words that burned my ears and made my dad squirm and my mother blush. My dad didn't permit the liberal use of alcohol, but the stranger encouraged us to try it on a regular basis. He made cigarettes look cool, cigars mainly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, much too freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, and generally embarrassing. I now know that my early concepts about relationships were influenced strongly by the stranger. Time after time he opposed the values of my parents, yet he was seldom rebuked and never asked to leave. More than 50 years have passed since the stranger moved in with our family. He has blended right in and is not nearly as fascinating as he was at first. Still, if you walk into my parents' den today, you would still find him sitting over in his corner, waiting for someone to listen to him talk and watch him draw his pictures. His name... We just call him TV. He has a wife now. We call her computer. Their first child is cell phone. Second child, iPod. And just born this year was a grandchild, iPad. It's true, isn't it? How many of us have, have strongholds in our life because of the stranger? the stranger. We, What thought has been planted in our mind? What doubt, what temptation has been planted in us and is allowed to become a stronghold? One of my Favorite things to watch on TV is uh, one of the things we watch with the kids often is Falling Skies. Now we have to fast forward a few parts, but overall it's pretty safe to watch. But uh, we tape it and fast forward a lot. But in Falling Skies, the, these, it's, they're fighting these aliens. And if you've ever watched it, these aliens plant these worms. They have these little worm-like creatures that crawl into people's eyes when they're not you know, paying attention. And once they crawl in, they take over their mind. They take over the person. One, if they're there long enough, the longer they're there, they create this battle. And the longer they're there, this thing that crawled into their eye, this worm-like creature, takes over, and later on, you'll, they'll be staring, they'll do some terrible thing, and the thing will crawl out, look around, crawl back in. It's, like, it's really gross, right? It, but but <clears throat> that's, I see that all the time spiritually. I see it in my life. I see it in all of our lives spiritually that same thing happen. And the treatment is, is with, with the with this falling skies, is they do this intervention. When they finally realize they've been taken over by an alien, they take the person, they strap them down, they do this family-friend intervention, and then they have this special treatment. They have these little robotic bugs that they actually feed into the eye they crawl into the eyes and they crawl throughout the body and they look for the worm and they kill it and the whole time the person is screaming and it's like a, like one of these possession movies you know, because it's trying to kill this, this what it's become the person's become and, and it's, it's, it's this spiritual battle that's going, really going on inside of them and it's very painful because the person has become this other thing and it's very painful to kill this and you know where I'm going with this that's what happens to us we get these strongholds in our life, right? We allow something into our eye, into our mind, into our heart. And, and it's Satan's behind it many, many times, almost always. He's, he's happy with what's happening anyway. And and it, it takes an intervention that we need to open up to those who care about us and allow them to speak into our life. And we need God's word to come in and, and penetrate and to kill. And it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle, isn't it? So We need to help each other with this. We need to open up with each other. We need to go through these spiritual battles with with each other. We have to go through it. Are we in the word? Are we allowing God's word to penetrate? Are we hearing it and reading it and studying it? Are we in home fellowships? You know, the home fellowships, I know schedules are so crazy, but we really need to get our home fellowships going again. We need to be meeting with small groups. We need to be meeting in our men's groups and ladies' groups and in small one-on-one discipleship. John and Mary Alta are always available. I know a lot of you meeting with them, but we're all, we, have a lot, we need to be doing that one-on-one discipleship. We have to, that, that's where that, this battle goes on. Or have we been distracted? Have we been distracted? Listen, I heard this a long time ago. I never forgot it. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. It's true, isn't it? If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because it has the same effect. And when we are in the Word, when we're in the Word, are we distracted? Or are we focused? Or are we distracted? Think about it. When 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 you're praying or you're reading the Bible... It's amazing the thoughts that come into our heads, isn't it? Anything and everything that, that will keep us from praying and, and reading the word and studying the word. Anything. Maybe here at Tate and you're not a Christian yet. If you're seeking, great. Keep on it. It's a journey. It's a step at a time. But, but maybe you're not a Christian because your heart has been hardened in some way. Our heart is hard. And listen... Satan will do anything he can to keep you from becoming a Christian. He'll do anything to keep you from following Jesus Christ, from giving your life to him, from becoming free of this worm that's crawled in and taken over, all of us at one point. He'll do anything he can to keep you from God's love and God's changing your life and setting you free. Anything he can do. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? This is the question I always ask people. It gets right to it. I say, if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? That question has never failed me because I've heard a lot of answers. I've been good. I go to church. I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I've never killed anybody. Chuck, you probably heard on the street how many? A million answers, right? But there's only one right answer. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the only answer. We stand before God someday and say, God, because I put my, I believed in your son Jesus. I put my faith faith in your son Jesus. I ask him to forgive me. I put my faith in him and I have followed your son Jesus Christ. And that's what communion is all about. Communion, as we take the bread in a few moments and the cups of the grape juice. We're remembering that Jesus gave his body and his blood on the cross in our place. He paid for our sin. That's what communion is all about, remembering that. And it's a time to cleanse our system and and ask for forgiveness and reconnect with god and the way we take it is we just open up after a little time of prayer here, we're going to open up and you just come down and take it and you go back to your seat or t- you can take it alone you can take it with someone else you can take it you know just h- however you feel that it's just between you and god it's it's spirit led here but the only time i would say don't take it is if you ha- aren't ready to become a christian yet you haven't put your faith in him yet that's okay wait wait till you're ready We do it every month. Or if there's something in our life, we say, God, you can't have it. I get this worm crawled at eye, and I'm hanging on to it. I'm enjoying what I've become. If that's the case, then don't take it either, because the Bible says don't take communion, the Lord's Supper, in an unworthy way. But I hope that every person here does put their faith in Christ and can commune with him not just today but all the time. And I, I hope that every one of us, no matter what we're struggling with, we say, God, I surrender it to you. It's not that we're victorious, we're surrendering it to him. Saying, God, whatever it takes, I want to be free of this. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to live free in Jesus Christ. That's pray right. As we go to this time of prayerfully preparing for the Lord's Supper, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What do we need to repent of before we can come to the, his table, remembering his his body and his blood? What do we need to surrender so that we can commune with him? Not just here, but every day. What do we need to surrender so that we can have a clean relationship, an open relationship with our Father without anything in the way, any sin, any rebellion, any garbage in the way? How is the Holy Spirit convicting us of a stronghold in our life, something that we've allowed Satan to set up in our life that we need to break? whether it's broken through confession and prayer, whether it takes going to somebody and getting help with this, another Christian brother or sister or me or a counselor, whatever it takes, we're all here for each other. We all struggle with the same thing. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Every one of us has our struggles. We need each other. We can help each other break these things that's surrender, surrendering it to God and surrendering and saying, God, I'll open up to somebody. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Let's take this time to talk to him. And while we're praying about that, I want to just speak to those who are here and you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're just hearing the gospel and the good words, the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time. I want to encourage you to open your heart and to keep on receiving. And to keep reaching out for God through his son, Jesus Christ. And at the right time, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You may be ready to do that right now. Your heart may be soft enough and ready right now. And the spirit is pulling you right now. God is drawing you into a relationship right now. You can become his child today. Right where you're sitting, by praying to God. Just talk to him. Say, God, please forgive me. Every sin I've ever committed, everything wrong I've ever thought or done, please forgive me. I repent of that. I don't want it anymore. I want you. Forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus who died for me in my place for my sin. I put my faith in him. I ask for forgiveness. I put my faith in Jesus, and now I'm going to follow you, God. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to follow you. If you've prayed that prayer of faith this morning, you can now take communion this morning, but even more important, you can commune with God any time because now he's your spiritual Father. And he's done something amazing in you. He's broken Satan's power and and made you a brand new person. His spirit is living inside of you, inside of each one of us now. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Maybe you came with someone or you have a friend or a family member. Tell me on the way out. Send me an email. Fill out the card. Stick it in the box. Somehow let someone know because we're going to be excited for you and we're going to help you grow in your new faith in your new life father we pray that your spirit would fill us in a special way now as commune with you and celebrate the lord's supper the death and resurrection of your son jesus christ